Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back, everybody. It is your... Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Mendes and Sean McAdoo with you as always for the next hour or so. It's a Thursday, which means our pal Jesse Granger will drop by to talk Granger things. And we'll do a little uh and we'll do a little trip down memory lane because he's gonna be talking about the Avalanche and the Panthers. And you know that that uh, that Sean's got some feelings when it comes to the Avs and Panthers and their Stanley Cup meeting back in 1996. Uh, speaking of having some feelings, there's some feelings going on in Edmonton right now. Leon Dreisaitl's infamous uh, you know, post-game or his, uh, his press conference uh, interaction with Jim Matheson. We'll talk a little bit about that. And where does this rank on the all-time list of battles between media and players? Think Dan Boyle, Jake Voracek, Andy Sutton. Where does Leon Dreisaitl fit in? And uh, Sean had a really good piece, too, this week about uh, goaltender trades. And, you know, we don't seem to see a lot of them, but uh, we'll talk a little bit about goalie deals in and around a trade deadline and an in-season trade. Uh, We'll also hit on some of your uh, listener questions as well, talking about uh, records for games played in the season. And this week in Hockey History talks all about Bad weather affecting NHL games. And that's why, hey, listen, you and I are affected by some bad weather. Uh, that is for sure. And uh, in the province of Ontario. But uh, I got a dark cloud hanging over me from Sunday, Sean. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. is the Dallas Cowboys. Let's Cow- talk we, about we, it. We talked about last week. Don't get, don't get pissy on me. Don't, why don't. are you being so pissy? Yeah. Uh, I I just need to know, do you regret? Because you, you, were, you were hedging... And you you should have locked it down. You are you regretting that we didn't do some sort of playoff bet because I, your San Francisco 49ers just did what I, what I thought they would do, which is beat the Dallas Cowboys. No, I I I I remember that you and I agreed that there was going to be a neck tattoo of yeah. the winning team's uh, uh, logo. I think that was uh, what we had said. I don't know. I sent I sent you an email, and uh, it, I think it was to the right address. But whoever it was, yeah. they they agreed. So I'm I'm looking forward to you debuting that. 
And uh, yeah, no, I, I, you know what, I maybe I should have had more faith uh, in uh, in 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 my Forty Niners, uh, a team that I am a passionate diehard fan of, as long as they win and yeah. pretty pretty fair weather if they don't. So, um, but yeah, good good job by them. And I, I gotta say, and I can as a Leafs fan, I feel like I can say this: the the Cowboys are like the Leafs and maybe the Oilers and a few other teams in the sense that when it goes bad, it is so entertaining for the rest of the league. Like we're all just watching Jerry Jones right now to see what, what crazy stuff he's going to do. And you know, who's getting fired, what, what wild changes are going to get made. Um, There are some teams that when they lose, you feel bad for them. And then there's some teams where you just grab your popcorn. And uh, uh, this is the Cowboys are one of the NFL versions of that. All right, so yeah, listen, you're you're right in the sense that the Dallas Cowboys, they seem to be like kindred spirits with the Maple Leafs in the sense of they have such a large following that Mm -hmm. either you love them or or you hate them. There's really not a lot of room to be in between on a team like the Dallas Cowboys, the Toronto Maple Leafs. I I put the Montreal Canadiens probably in there. Yep. Uh, You know, there, there, there are some teams in there. So here's my question, though. Could we potentially do some sort of buddy system where you partner up every NHL franchise with their like equivalent or their kindred spirit in the NFL, like it feels like maybe the Cowboys and the Maple Leafs are a match. Although I, I, some people would say the Cleveland Browns and yes, the Toronto Maple Leafs, I might, might say be that as well. Match. Yeah, like because the yeah. thing is, as much as as far as media footprint and fan base, the Cowboys and Leafs are are pretty good. Uh, I mean, geez, we we wish we only had to go back to the '90s for. Uh, for our last glory days, I think the Cowboys probably match better with the Montreal Canadiens, uh, in in the sense of you know you got to go back to the '90s and uh, you know that that sort of thing. Still still coasting on a bit of that, but yeah, you know have been up and down the last little while. Leafs are probably the Browns, bit of a joke now, but with a history. You know this, this is you know the Cleveland Browns. If, oh. if if you ignore the few years where they didn't exist, uh, you know. It, it, Proud history, but not a history that involves a lot of winning. Um, <laughs> and winning yeah, championships before there was a Super Bowl is kind yeah. of the equivalent of winning Stanley Cups in the original sense. Pre expansion, sure, yeah, no, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd say that. I let me. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think who oh, would be. I got another one for you. Yeah, the Pittsburgh Penguins are the New England Patriots. Ooh, you know what? That's a good one. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good one. I'd say maybe the. Are the Steelers maybe the Red Wings? Is that uh, yeah? That you know a lot of championships. I'll give you one other one that jumped to mind. The Arizona Cardinals are the Florida Panthers. Yes, ton yes. of offense, all sorts of fun to watch. Nobody generally cares about them. Don't really do well in the playoffs except for the one year they went to the final, but nobody remembers it. Hundred okay. percent. Oh, I was thinking, is there some? Too bad it wasn't like uh, you know Santonio Holmes had the touchdown. It's Uve Krupp. I was like, is there yes. some sort of connection? <laughs> Imagine it was the the same name. Could have been. Yeah, could have been. Yeah, but, we'll get into uh, that with Granger. Yeah. Yep. But and then I don't know. I don't know who the Jets are. Uh, in either case, I guess I was thinking I don't know who the New York Jets are, and I'm I'm trying to think like who are the Oilers? Who are the team? Who's the team that's got the superstar, but are just constantly getting clowned year after year. I see the Detroit Lions, I think of Barry Sanders in the Barry Sanders era would yeah, have been you know what? That would the have been... current Oilers, right? Like they were mm-hmm. like they're kind of always eight and eight, nine and seven, and you're like, why can't they just build around Barry Sanders? Yep. That's you know what? That's a that's a pretty good one. I don't know that yeah. there's a or or, a or is it the Minnesota Vikings? Days. You know, they had Randy Moss and they've had some you know, they've had some yeah. elite players that are just every kinda... year you think this might be it, and then every yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know what? This there's yeah, there's a few uh there's a few options there for sure. I'm, I'm smelling a future potential column for you there. The could be kindred... it's already halfway done. I'm gonna get yeah. the intern to do the rest of it. <laughs> and uh we're gonna be all set. Yeah. Jacksonville is Ottawa. What? <laughs> it might be. Yeah, it could be. All right. Might so be. listen, we, we we're talking about we we mentioned the Oilers and when things go bad, they go really bad. And they went they went bad this week. And and it wasn't just the dry sidle press conference. It was McDavid on the podium Saturday. It's dry sidle, you know, forty eight hours later. Look, these are two of the best players in the game. And it feels like and they should be these sort of bright, like 
incandescent personalities. And it looks like they've had the the fun and the joy sucked right out of them, which mm -hmm. is kind of what happens to all of us in Canada in the middle of January, but in particular, yeah. maybe in Edmonton, we're all, yep. why are you so pissy? It's January in Edmonton. Yeah. How about that? Let's and, start there. Yeah. And, and look, let's also be fair here. If Connor McDavid or Leandro Seidel got up there and seemed cheery, they get ripped to shreds oh, for yeah. that, right? You know, what is Connor, what's Connor McDavid laughing about? What's he joking about? Hasn't he looked at the standings and this and that? I mean, you might like to see a little more fire from either one of those guys other than just kind of shrugging and, you know, whatever and one word answers. But um, they should be pissy, for lack of a better term. It's Look at look at how things are going in that team. I, I wouldn't expect it to be anything else. And so, look, did you have a strong opinion in terms of the theater we saw between, I know that the Wednesday podcast talked about this, but we'll just 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 give us an opportunity to, to hit on this real quick. The interaction between Jim Matheson and Leon Dreisaitl, do you feel like it's much ado about nothing? Do you have strong feelings? You know, I think what happens sometimes is we're in a rush to take sides, we're in a rush for hot takery, and sometimes mm -hmm. the answer is in the middle. Like, I, I feel like both parties are probably to blame in terms of escalating yeah. the temperature a little bit. And I, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I don't think it's the worst thing I've ever seen. But did, when you watch that interaction, did you come away with it saying, boy, that's a bad look for Leon, that's a bad look for Matheson, that's a bad look for everybody, or or not really? I, I didn't think it was a great look for either of them. And, and I'm, you know, this is kind of a thing for me. I know some people... They love it when when this happens or when it's, you know, a lot of times it's a coach in the media. And, oh, isn't this great? And I don't think it's great. I, I, I don't like seeing people publicly be rude to each other when they don't need to be. It's, you know, maybe that's that's my polite Canadian uh, stereotype shining through. But I, I think there's better ways to handle this. But at the same time, um, look, this was this was a minor skirmish. It was the kind of thing that probably in a different time would have happened uh, in a smaller group or one-on-one -on -one and uh, and be dealt with. Um, you're right. Everybody does run to judgment. And frankly, it, a lot of times the judgment isn't really judgment. It's just based on, you know, if you're in the media, then you defend the media guy. And if you're a fan of the team, obviously you love Leon Dersaddle, so you're going to defend him and you're going to go after the media guy. And it's, uh, you know, I, I thought... The initial question was was fine. Uh, I thought that the initial answer from Leon Dreisaitl saying like, you know, we're bad everywhere was was fine. And it's it's okay to prod a little bit to, to see if someone can go deeper, but sometimes they don't want to and, and you just got to accept that that's the answer that you've got. And I, I would assume that there's probably some history there between those two because it, it seemed to escalate pretty quick if, if there wasn't. Um, but, you know, again, it's it's the kind of thing where if we weren't in the era of Zoom, probably, you know, Jim doesn't doesn't say that publicly. He waits until he gets an opportunity one on one and then goes over to Leon and says, hey, what, what the hell was that? What do you, do you have a problem or, you know, do we talk about something? And and they deal with it. then. that happens a lot. Um, can't happen now. Uh, so at the end of the day, it, it wasn't it wasn't a great look for either of them. But I also don't think it was anything that that rises to the level of a crisis either. No, and I think what happens is in the case of recency bias, we're like, that's the worst thing I've ever seen between a player and a reporter. And so we want to play a couple audio clips for our listeners here just to give you a sense of th these are going to be three incidents over the last decade that I think the temperatures seem to get higher than it did between Matheson and Dreisaitl. And, 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 and we're leaving, look, and I know people are going to say, well, what about Tortorella? Well, I think there's been a lot of interactions heated between coaches and media members. So I'm going to remove that. Let's just focus on players and the media. And Sean, the first one I want to play to you is one that is, I think this week is actually the one-year anniversary of it. Okay. And it is Philadelphia Flyers star at the time, Flyers star Jacob Voracek, in a press conference. And have a listen here. As Ver uh, Voracek was asked a question by a reporter out of Philly, Mike Salsky, I believe it was uh, Mike Salsky from The Inquirer. Have a listen to Voracek's response, and uh, you can you can it's palpable. You can sense sense the anger. Two games in, Jake. How different does the season feel, if at all, given the circumstances of the off season and the condensed schedule and everything? Doesn't matter what I say, Mike. You're gonna write fucking shit every time. No, so it doesn't matter what you say. Uh, yeah, it feels different. I mean, we got four points out of the first two games. Uh, 
I, I wasn't even going to answer your question because you are such a weasel. It's not even funny. Next question. You know, Sean, the thing, and obviously we're an audio podcast here. I always remember Travis Konechny. He's taking a sip of water while Voracek <laughs> is dropping the F-bomb. And you can see yep. Konechny do a double take. The thing that I, the reason why I think this one is more heated than Dreisaitl and Matheson is Voracek's use of the word weasel. You're a yep. weasel. Like that's about word. as bad as it's going to get, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, until, until pissy, I guess that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. They, uh, yeah, that was what I mean. We I, I said with with uh, Dracidal and Matheson that there was probably some history there. Clearly, there was history here. Clearly, this was one where this this wasn't a question answer exchange that went bad. This was kind of uh, this this was somebody in in hockey terms had taken a number previously and was looking for the first opportunity to uh, to go at somebody, and he did. So that one, okay. So that one, I think is is pretty bad. The next one we're going to play for you is about six years old. And this is this is Dan Boyle who, okay, before we play this clip, did you not think of Dan Boyle? And Dan's a guy that he grew up in our area here in Ottawa. I always thought of Dan as a super mild-mannered guy. Like, I never thought of Dan Boyle as this sort of hot-headed, mm. me, right? Like, media kind of guy that was dropping quote bombs, right? Like, he was a pretty, uh, pretty polite guy for the most part, wasn't he? Yeah, that- Sure. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Uh, not not exactly somebody you think of as a hothead, but again, uh, clearly someone who had taken a number here. Yeah. And so this is from a season ending media availability. So it's uh, the locker clean out day, garbage bag mm-hmm. day, whatever you want to call it. From April of 2016, have a listen as Dan Boyle blows up at a pair of reporters from the New York Post. Perfect. I want you out of here. Nobody likes you. Nobody respects you. Just so you know, at least I'm leaving here with the respect of my teammates. Instead of somebody like you that tries to bury somebody, that's all you do. It's not a critique, but I'm just telling you I don't want you here. I have no respect for you. I want you to get the out. Well, I can tell you to get the out if I want to. I want him out. You know, if you get politely, I might. Oh, well, politely? Why would I be polite with you? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Grow up. I just want you to leave. That's all. Well, I'll walk over here. I just want you to leave. I don't want I to see you. I mean, the f bombs. The the peak of this one is nobody likes you. Like, yeah. It's the classic nobody likes you. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they were both reporters from the New York Post. One of them is Larry uh, Larry Brooks. I I would right? assume. Yeah. Of yeah. Course. I mean, I I, I believe so. So. Yeah, and, and we should also say that that was not only locker cleanout day, but that was the end of Dan Boyle's career. Not because of that incident, but right. he, you know, he he was on the way out of New York. So this was sort of you know, burn the bridges. There was no reason to uh, to play nice, and and he seemed to feel like he was maybe speaking on behalf of some teammates as well, and uh, you know, taking the hit for them. But uh, yeah, the whole you know, you go away. I don't want to do this scrum if you're here, and and you hear the reporter say, "I'll go stand over here," and. You got to ask me nicely and all of that stuff. It was, that was a mess. That one was, again, clearly some history there. I don't know what the history is, so I can't say whether Dan Boyle was right or wrong. But uh, yeah, he he knew what he was looking for there, let's just say. Yeah, and again, I think that the temperature on that one was a little bit higher than what we saw with Dreisaitl and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and Matheson. This and, last- and by the way, also, you know, for people who say, the Matheson thing would have never happened if we had scrums and we were in the dressing room. Well, that was a scrum in the dressing room, and it uh, it still happened. So exactly, which takes us to our last one, uh, and this was one that I was actually there, Sean. I was standing here in this scrum. This is from April of 2010. Are you the reporter? It, and I'm not the reporter. I got asked so many yeah. times back then. People, are, was that you? I'm like, no, it wasn't me. It's Andy Sutton of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, speaking to reporters in Pittsburgh at the old Mellon Arena, uh, Andy has just delivered a, a pretty pretty uh, uh, vicious hit on Penguins uh, defenseman Jordan Leopold. It, it was it was. I remember being in the arena. I thought oh, that's a uh, it's one of those hits you never want to see. It was nasty. Poor Jordan Leopold was out. Uh, and after the game, uh, to Andy Sutton's credit, he came out and spoke to us and have a listen to his exchange as a reporter from Pittsburgh. It, this one isn't so much full of rage as it is just straight up awkward. I think it's, uh, you know, the uh, hit on Yarko behind the net was way worse. I mean, I got suspended 
hitting Pascal Dupuis earlier this year for the exact same hit. So, I mean, I don't know what, uh, why mine's going to be hotly contested. You didn't know your elbow came up and hit him in the head? Are you asking me or are you telling me? No, I'm asking you. Yes. You're an expert? No, it was on the replay. So you're an expert? No, it was on the replay. That's so you the... saw it and you're saying yeah. you saw it, it's on, you're an expert? I'm not an I'm saying I saw it. I'm asking you, did you know you got your elbow up? You're telling me I got my elbow up? It was on the replay. You're an expert. You know it was up. Okay. That's it, guys. Thank you. You know, Sean, the one thing I always say, like, we made a huge mistake in Ottawa. Like, how did we not pump out so you're an expert merch, you're an expert hat, T-shirts, mm-hmm. all of it. It was an all-time slogan. What I it, This was like one of those weird routines where, like, somebody just keeps asking you a question and you're like, are you asking me or telling me? You asking me? Yep. Or you're an expert. It was just, honestly, I was like, at one point I remember looking around like, am I... Okay, I can't be the only one seeing this. This is bizarre <laughs> yeah. to me. Like, it was, like, yeah. stuck in a loop. Yeah, it, absolutely. Because, it, uh, you know, it, and it was, I mean, obviously, uh, I I think it was an elbow. Most people thought it was an elbow. The replays seemed to indicate that. Although, I, I suppose if you were a diehard Senators fan, maybe you thought it was more of an arm or something coming up. Um, and I guess... To, to, from Andy Sutton's perspective, he can't come out and say, yeah, I elbowed the guy. Uh, and he also doesn't want to say, no, I, I definitely didn't elbow him because he's seen the replay. He knows that what the replay shows. So he kind of chooses this tack to try to get out of it, I guess. And it's, yeah, it's, it, it reminded me of, you know, if you've, when you're a kid and you think you've got a clever comeback to the teacher or the parent, like this will shut it down and it doesn't. And they just keep asking you the question. You're like, I don't, I don't have a plan B, man. I, I guess I'm just going back to this and, I'll just see how awkward it is while I blink in Morse code at the media guy to uh, to get me out of here, which uh, I think is eventually what happened. My memory of that, of the Eddie Sutton thing, is that was like one of the first great like hockey Twitter moments Yes, where it blew up and everybody was just, I mean, you couldn't, it was awful because for a month on Twitter, you couldn't ask or say anything without 10 people immediately asking if you were an expert, but it was... Uh, uh, that was one of the first things way back in the early days of Twitter before it was a total cesspool where everybody was kind of um, playing around and having fun with that. Yeah, that, that was a great six-week window or whatever it was mm-hmm. on on Twitter Maximum. back in 2010, yeah, at, at the most. Hey, speaking of Twitter, I, I got to ask you about this. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes put down a 7-1 beatdown on Boston the other night, and they tweet out uh, about the 7-1 win. And the Hurricanes official team site tweets out uh, on uh, Tuesday night. Sorry, I'm getting my dates started. Tuesday night. They tweet out the final score is 7-1. And they're like, hey, L stands for uh, Lamborghini. And they're yeah. like, they're having some fun, right? Because Brad, Brad Marchand, who had called himself a Lamborghini. Exactly. Uh, and that's, this is what I find interesting. So Marchand, you know, he's he's very active on social media. He decides to respond to the Hurricanes tweet saying L stands for Lamborghini, kind of taking a shot at the Bruins, the L, and Marchand. And he tweets back, you're still the reason we pay 20% in escrow. Now, this is an all-time response from an yeah. athlete to a team, right? It, yeah, and you know what? I, I got to say, man, I don't – the Carolina Hurricanes have a lot of fun. They've kind of got this this uh, uh, this this personality to them, this attitude. Obviously, Habs fans know all about that uh, from uh, the offer sheet uh, back and forth. They do a lot of this type of stuff, the bunch of jerks, all of it. And it's it's fun, and a lot of people enjoy it. But you're going to play that game. you got to keep your head up because somebody might come for you too. And this is, uh, it, they got caught with their head down a little bit here. And, yeah. uh, this was a, this was a great comeback because it's, it, it was, here's what I liked about it. It was, I mean, first of all, it was funny. It, it's got a little bit of truth to it. Um, and it also was, it, it wasn't the sort of thing that was aimed at like at, at anyone specifically. This was a shot at the Hurricanes organization. This wasn't a, this wasn't something that was aimed to get like some social media manager in trouble or, you know, that sort of thing. It was, uh, you know, it, it went a little more broadly than that. I got to tell you, of all of the various 
storylines and subplots of the last decade. My very least favorite is Brad Marchand emerging as one of the most likable personalities. Yeah. In the, I hate it. I hate it because I was much happier when I couldn't stand this guy and I could just, you know, cringe every time he was he was on TV. And the fact that he's emerged as an actual personality who's who's uh, at least generally speaking, uh, seems like a lot of fun and has reined in uh, some of the other stuff. Oh, and also gets 100 points every year. Um, just just awful. I'm I'm put me down as a hard no one on this this whole yeah. thing. Yeah, you know, the, the two things I, I wanted to weigh in on the Marshan tweet, number one, I think him dunking on the Carolina Hurricanes, I think for a brief moment, even, like you said, even Montreal Canadiens fans are like, damn. That must have I been mixed I, feelings, man. Like, I that's, think I, I might yeah. like Brad Marchand a little more than yeah, Carolina Hurricanes I mean, the, right now. The guy, like your arch enemy, yeah. your old arch enemy comes over and sucker punches your new arch enemy, and you're sitting there going, wait a second, whose side am I on here? I don't yeah. know. This is, a, this is a tough one. Yeah, but the whole key to this tweet, Sean, he used the proper the proper usage of your. If he had yeah. used the wrong your that so many people do, it would undercut it. People would be like, oh, well, you, you, you clown, you're brutal. But he used the proper your, and he's a guy after our hearts. Yeah, he's he's clearly, uh, clearly this was not ghostwritten by his tattoo artist because everything <laughs> was, was spelled correctly. Yeah, that's right. No regrets. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's what I should have done for my Cowboys tattoo. I like that guy so much better when he was the no regrets guy. Yeah. Oh, man. Please just lick another face shield or something for us, man. Get do something. No, that that's that window is past the COVID has taken that taken care of that. Hey, uh, one more thing I want to get to before we uh, we'll bring Jesse Granger on here in a second. Uh, Your column this week about NHL trades, kind of in-season trades for goalies. And I'll be honest with you. I, I always love. You know, your your columns that you kind of count down 10 to 1. Because, you know, I get to, to 3 or 4. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, for sure I know this is going to be there. And I got to 1. I was like, damn, Dwayne Rollison's the number one in-season goalie trade? That I, I'm not going to lie to you. That surprised me. Yeah. I, and But you know what? I defend it because that, I mean, we're going all the way back to 2006. But that was an Oilers team that was a pretty good team. Uh, but they were getting crushed. By goaltending. Now, stop me if you've heard this, but this <laughs> yeah. Oilers team was on the verge of missing the playoffs. They had a guy named Chris Pronger. So they had one of the best players in the world. Again, this is, you know, I'm I'm not drawing any comparisons or parallels, uh, but they had one of the best players in the world in his prime in Chris Pronger, but, uh, and, and a pretty good team around him, but they were being let down by goaltending. Uh, they go out and they trade for Dwayne Rollison, who I think was, what, 36 at the time. Yeah. He's a pending UFA, so it's a rental. And they gave up a first round pick. Uh, and I, a lot of us at the time were like, oh my goodness, what an overreaction, what an overpayment. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to give up your first round pick so you can what sneak into the playoffs and get crushed by them. You got to play the Red Wings. They have 120 points. There's no chance. And Dwayne Rolson get, comes over, stabilizes his position, gets them into the playoffs. And then they go on the all time Cinderella run, get to the Stanley cup final, uh, knock off the one, two, three seeds, I think, uh, along the way, get to the final, and then he gets hurt in, the, in game one of a series that they lose in seven games. If he doesn't get hurt, I think you absolutely could say the Edmonton Oilers win the Stanley Cup. Now, we don't know that. We'll never know it. But I think you could say this should have been the trade that we looked back on and said this was the difference between missing the playoffs and winning a Stanley Cup. Um, you, you can't ask for anything more out of what seemed at the time to be a rental. It didn't end up being that. He signed on and, and played a few more years. But um, again, absolutely no comparisons being drawn to any situations that may be happening <laughs> yeah. anywhere else. Uh, but I will just point out, there was a time when the Oilers needed a goalie. And instead of sitting around talking about how hard it is to make trades, they just went out and got a goalie and it almost turned into a championship. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Sean, as always, time for us to bring in our pal, Jesse Granger, for a little Granger things on this Thursday episode of The Pod, brought to you by our good friends at BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner with us at The Athletic. Jesse Granger, uh, always good to have you on the Thursday show. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about some trends around the National Hockey League with a couple of Stanley Cup contenders. In fact, I'm sure Sean will be quick to point out uh, some facts about the 1996 Stanley Cup final, because we're going to be talking some Avs and Panthers here, right? Oh, boy. Yeah, here's some facts. It was terrible, uh, and it ruined hockey for two decades. Wait a minute. Why go. is that? The Because the, uh, <laughs> first of all, the, this is my theory, okay? And Ian knows he's, he's getting me going yeah. on this, but everybody blame, you say dead puck Aaron, people blame who? The 95 Devils. Right. Here's my argument. The, yes, the Devils were, you know, the a defensive-minded team, but they scored, the 94 Devils were like, top five in the league in goals. This was not a defense-only team. The 96 Panthers were an expansion team that did clutch and grab and open field tackling uh, to beat Mario Lemieux and the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, and deprive us of a uh, Mario versus Joe Sackick Stanley Cup final, which would have been amazing. Uh, Lemieux versus Patrick Waugh and all the other stuff. And instead, we got the Panthers. It, the, it was a sweep it ended on a one nothing triple overtime game uh, on a goal by a defensive defenseman. And somehow nobody in the NHL looked at that and went, you know what? Maybe this isn't what our game should be. Maybe we should do something about this. They said, you know what? Let's sit tight. Uh, we're going to wait uh, for about 20 years or so before we actually do anything. Let's just uh, sit back and assess, uh, so to speak. And it, uh, yeah, it was a, every owner in the league was like, why am I paying a bunch of guys to score goals when, Scott Mellonby and a bunch of grinders can just tackle the other team constantly and, and get to the Stanley Cup final. That's amazing. See, I told you, Pan- Panthers and Avs would set them off. But hey. Yeah. All uh, right. Jesse, so we're out of time, Jesse. Sorry. Thanks a lot. And uh, we'll talk <laughs> yeah, to you next week. Yeah. We're out of time. We'll see you next week. Uh, but I think what's funny is that if the uh, the uh, Panthers and Avs do meet in the Cup final this year, it wouldn't be the boring old school. It would be some high uh, octane up tempo hockey. And uh, both these teams are kind of in your, uh, on your radar here when it comes to, uh, you know, some, some betting lines. Let's start out West with the avalanche. And, uh, and I, I guess this, this shouldn't be too much of a surprise. Cause I think when you think of the avalanche, you think of goals and you're seeing a trend here when Colorado's on the docket, you, you got to take the over here. Yeah, definitely. Um, Florida and Colorado are the two highest scoring teams in the league. And, like the Avalanche, obviously, are on a roll right now. They are just dusting teams, and you, you as a better, you think, okay, like let's jump on that. But the thing is, with a cup contender like the Avalanche that has been expected to be a cup contender all season, you can't get any value on them. And when they get in a hot streak like streak like this, the their their side bets you can't even you can't bet the Avalanche. You're not going to make any money. But there is a different way to make money on the Avalanche, I think, than and that's betting the totals. And right now they are on an insane. Uh, stretch of hitting the over on these games. Um, they have hit the over in 25 of their games. 78% of the Avalanche games have gone over the total this season. Of all the teams in the entire NHL, the next highest is Florida, and they're only at 61%. So that just shows you like like the, the second highest team in the entire NHL. It's, it's hard to get much into the 60s, 61%, let alone 78% of the time they're going over the total. Um, And in their last 11 games, the Avs have only gone under once in 11 games. And that game, they beat the Arizona Coyotes five to nothing. So even in the only game that went under in their last 11, they still scored five goals in that game. Um, This team is scoring, obviously, at an incredible rate. They also aren't getting great goaltending from Darcy Kemper, which helps that that total get to the over um, on most nights. It's funny that uh, Sean brought up the 1996 Pittsburgh Penguins oh, because... Don't pull me back in. Don't you know, <laughs> this Avalanche team is averaging 4.25 goals per game at about the halfway mark, and no team has averaged more than four goals per game since the 1996 Pittsburgh Penguins. That team had Mario Lemieux, 161 points. Yamir Yager, 149 points. Ron Francis, 119 points. And 
Peter Nedved had 99 points, so almost four 100-point players on that team. And this Avalanche team is the most effective offensive, the most high-octane offensive hockey team we've seen since that team, which is pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. Where did it get them? Nowhere. Because of who? The Florida Panthers. (laughs) Yeah. Well, then, who's going to be, Sean, who's going to be the team that Panthers the... uh, the Avs this year? Like, who's a Western team that's going to suck the soul out of Colorado? Maybe in round two, maybe maybe it's the conference final, but they, they kind of clutch and grab and drag their way you know, to take out the Avs. I, I'll tell you, got? everybody's thinking the same answer, which is the Minnesota Wild, because that's just their reputation, right? They're the boring team. That's what they've always been. They're not actually a particularly boring team this year. They're Not anymore. Uh, you know, there's a lot of fun there, but reputation's kind of... Uh, uh, do do kind of make you wonder, uh, but I think the probably the best candidate, uh, and and it would have to be on a crossover, and they'd have to drop a little bit down the standings. But couldn't you just see Daryl Sutter just strangling the life <laughs> out of those Colorado Avalanche? That yeah. I mean, if if anybody could just crush the fun out of a, a high powered offensive team, uh, that's got to be the guy, right? Yeah, I like it. For I sure. like it a lot. Uh, but and Jesse, the other thing we want to talk about, and, and uh, speaking of the Flames, they just had a date with uh, the Florida Panthers, the other team uh, that you want to talk about here. And and the Panthers, this was a great example, right? Because the Panthers were rolling. We watched them, uh, you know, run up the scoreboard last weekend. Mm-hmm. We're thinking, here we go. And guess what? They get out on the road and they continue to struggle. And this is a trend that you're starting to uh, to really pick up on here as you as you look at the Florida Panthers. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, great example. They go to Calgary on Tuesday and they lose. And their next four games are on the road. So um, they've, they've got quite the road trip here. But there is no team in hockey that has a bigger split in terms of their, their stats and their results on the road compared to at home. They are 20 and 3 at home, which is astounding. Um, and on the road, they're five, five, and five. But in terms of betting, overtime shootout losses count the same as a regular loss. So they are five and ten if you were betting them straight up on the road. Um, the only team that's even remotely close in terms of having like a different split is the Stars. But even the Stars aren't as drastic as the Florida Panthers. Uh, they've won seven straight games at is it FLA Live Arena? Is it Florida Live? How do you how do you I say that? It's FLA, isn't it? Yeah, I think. FLA Live Arena. They have they've won seven straight games there. You mentioned they were rolling, they were outscoring their opponents like twenty four to fifteen in those games. They have been crushing teams. When you look at their stats, to me, that's where it really because because I think I mean hockey. You can you can have a bounce here, a bounce there. Things go. Maybe the results don't always tell you what's happening, but when you look at their stats, this team. I mentioned the Avalanche are, are the first team since that Pittsburgh team. Florida's right behind them in scoring, and they're averaging four point seven five goals per game at home only 2.93 on the road, like basically half. And then, and then you look at their goals against too. They're only giving up 2.71 goals against at home. And on the road, that goes all the way up to 3.2 um, higher than the goals they're giving they're, they're scoring. So, and, and their power play on the road, 12% power play, one of the worst in the entire NHL. And then at home, it's up to 23% more than double the conversion rate at home. So it's, it's, it's kind of like part of the, I was kind of chuckling as I, I went over these stats because that team gets and their fan base gets poked fun at and and so often the Florida Panthers for not drawing crowds. So it's just funny that that team that everyone like kind of pokes fun at the, the the arena. They're twenty and three in that arena, and nobody wants to go into that arena and play the Panthers this year. Yeah, that's it's clearly it's because there's just so much to do around that arena that the the, the players get distracted. You can go to the one restaurant, you <laughs> can wander wall. into the swamp. Uh, that's it. By the way, guys, <laughs> I. I but before we before we draw the I, I I want to revise my answer, okay? On on which team is going to take down the uh, is going to panther the Colorado Avalanche yeah. because there's there's something that I missed. Uh, do you know who was the leading scorer for that '96 Panthers team in the playoffs? I'm going to say Dave Lowry. You got it. And what's Dave Lowry doing these days? Coaching, coaching the Winnipeg, Winnipeg Jets who could potentially play the Colorado Avalanche in round one. There we go. There's your answer. It's the the Dave Lowry back and ready to ruin everything all over again. (laughs) 
it's so funny because that Stanley Cup to me like is is a big moment for me like that for me that's the first hockey I really remember um, I grew up in Colorado as an Avs fan I was like five I think when that Stanley Cup happened and that was like we just got the team it was brand new and we were so excited and they won the Stanley Cup like I, I vividly remember that cup and it was such a great memory for me and and such a horrible one for you yep uh, apology to all of our listeners in the province of Quebec. For young Jesse Granger at the age of five yeah. being introduced <laughs> to hockey. This is awesome. A new team. This is great. Who's this goalie that we got? And we got yeah. A, a, yeah, this is this awesome. Is Joe Sackick. Oh, he's, he's a, what was he up to before? Yeah, yeah I thought that's yeah. just how hockey worked. You just, your team wins the cup every year. Yeah, I can yeah. assure you that's <laughs> says the guy who Says the guy who covers the Vegas Golden Knights. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It just yeah. follows me, right? Like, I've, yeah. I've been very lucky. As soon as I moved from Colorado, that was when everyone retired from, from the Avs. And, and they had their, their downfall. They're obviously back now. But, uh, yeah, it seems like it's following me a little. Okay. Uh, this, was, this was fun as always. We love the, uh, the, the, the Thursday visits where we chat uh, what's kind of going on from a, from a betting perspective and some, some lines and things like that. Uh, this was a ton of fun. Included a little trip down memory lane, too, back to 1996. So, listen, thanks for this. Uh, have a great week, and uh, we'll, we'll hit you up next, uh, next Thursday. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Jesse. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. All right. Uh, amazing how uh, Jesse was like, what do you mean the 96 Stanley Cup was terrible for hockey? Like, isn't that yep. funny? That's, I mean, it's, it's rough that, uh, you know, first of all, you suckered me into it. And then I find yeah. out that like five-year-old Jesse Granger's favorite team, I just dumped all over their, their big moment. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've crushed, uh, retroactively crushed a young hockey fan spirit, but, yeah. uh, that's all right. I'm, I'm a Leafs fan. If it happens to me, everyone should be miserable too. So. There you go. All right. We're going to take uh, some, uh, or tackle some questions from our listeners. We want to remind you. You can always reach us at the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. That is the way to drop us an email. You can also leave us a voicemail. We love to hear your voice. 845-445-8459. Let's take this one here. Uh, we'll take a couple. This one's from Chris in Calgary. Or sorry, uh, Mark. Mark in Calgary. And Mark says, hey, guys, what's the NHL record for most games played in a season by a player? Every now and then we see somebody gets traded to a team who's maybe played fewer games and ends up with, let's say, 83 or 84 games. Now, with the COVID shutdowns, could we see somebody crack the 90-game mark for the first time ever? At the time of me writing you this note, Ottawa has played 31 games versus a team like Anaheim, who's played 10 more at 41. If Ottawa traded for somebody who's played all 41, and that player ends up finishing the season with the Senators, well, they could end up with 92 games played. That's from Mark in Calgary. Now, I know you probably know the answer to this, Sean. His question is, what's the record for the most number of games played? I do know what the old, old, old record is, because when I was a kid, Sean, you and I are the same age, mm -hmm. but when I was like seven years old, so like this is like early 80s, okay, okay. I got a sports trivia book for my seventh, I think it was oh, my seventh wow. birthday. Okay. Yeah. I, I still have it. And I used to pour over this thing and, th and there was a section of hockey trivia questions. And it was, one of the questions was, who is the only player to ever play more than 80 games in a season? And the answer was this rando guy. I don't know anything about this guy. His name was Ross Lonsbury. Do you know, have you ever heard of this guy before? No. I, no. Nope. But the That's... name sticks in my mind because he played I love that. eight. 82 games for some team in the 70s and because he got traded and that team had played two fewer games. And it was like this novel thing, like, wow, this guy played 82 games in a season. So that was the old record, and mm -hmm. that's planted in my brain from the 80s. 
I love that stuff that you find as a kid that just like sticks with you and you still remember you forget your wife's birthday, but you're like, that is always in there. Uh, Well, I regret (laughs) to inform you that that record does not stand uh, any longer. Uh, Not surprisingly, because the the season is exactly is longer. Uh, The record is actually held uh, by two guys. Um, One, one name you'll know because he was a fairly well-known player and the other one you'll know, uh, uh, because it involves the uh, the Senators, uh, and both guys uh, played 86 games in a season, and it's the same circumstances. They were traded in the middle of the year and uh, to a team that had, had played fewer games, and the guys are Jimmy Carson, uh, not quite the most famous uh, Jimmy Carson trade ever, but he was traded midway through the 92-93 season, and then the next year, Bob Kudelski, uh Ottawa Senators right. uh, slash Florida Panthers legend, Bob Kadelski and uh, both guys ended up the, the, holding the record at 86 because if you remember, that was during that brief window where the NHL actually played 84 games in a season. Yeah. Uh, and they it, it was 80 for the longest time, bumped up briefly at 84 and then settled back down at 82. Uh, so that record, I would have said before this year would be unlikely to be broken because you'd need to find four extra games uh, right. just to tie it. But th- this is a good point. I, I got to be honest. I'm, I'm really into weird NHL records, but this scenario had not occurred to me. But you're right. We could see that record challenge this year if, if we get a trade. Uh, of course, the the downside is it would have to be somebody who was playing all the games. And I don't know if we've even got anyone left in the league who's who's on track to play yeah. every game this year. But uh, it, it, it could happen. And that uh, that was neat. I sort of uh, uh, I, I appreciated that. Uh, that email because uh that's uh i didn't uh i had not thought of that i gotta be yeah. honest yeah it's right up your alley like that kind of quirky uh, could, could a guy get to 90 games and I, I would feel for the guy if he got traded to ottawa just because uh it's not like you're getting traded to a contender right like all of a yeah. sudden you you know so i guess but there, there are some the islanders i guess could maybe hang around the playoff race maybe they trade for somebody maybe Maybe that 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 could make sense, but yeah, I think absolutely the, there the could Bruins be. The Bruins have got a ton of games still to. Yeah, they still got five up, or six. I think, yeah, five or six in hand. I think on a lot of teams. So, so you're right. that could yeah, that could work. We could uh, we could make this happen. Uh, Matthew writes into the show. Matthew Bagnell uh, says, and again, this is via email to the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. If you guys had total control over Hockey Hall of Fame membership, who would you add to the Hall of Fame that? Does it who uh, who doesn't necessarily deserve to be there, and why would you pick them? I'm essentially looking for somebody who lives rent free in your head and your heart, and hockey fans need to know about this person. So this guy could be a player, he could be a builder, an official, but he could be an NHL or international person, whatever. But it is somebody obscure, maybe. But who is the guy that you just you love so much that? He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, or at least in your personal Hall of Fame. So, well, I've got I'm, I've got yeah. two names, and you're you know you know what one of them is going to be. There's, well, I'm there's, assuming it's Wendell, right? Of course, yeah. yeah. It's I mean, Wendell Clark is my all-time favorite player. I have never enjoyed watching a pro athlete as much as I uh, loved Wendell Clark in in both phases of his first stint with the Leafs. You had the young Wendell Clark with the mullet, who was just a wrecking ball, just hitting and fighting and scoring, but like just absolutely every game, just a total buzzsaw. You, we will never see anything like it again because the, that, that NHL doesn't exist anymore. But for right. uh, a Leafs team that had just been a punching bag for so long, suddenly you had this 18-year-old kid just running around destroying everyone uh, was was fantastic. And then you fast forward to the, the Pat Burns era and you have the old grizzled Wendell Clark with the big bushy beard and the bald spot and the bad back, but he's getting (laughs) off the trainer's table. And that was fantastic too. And by the way, do you realize, you know, that, that picture, what picture that Wendell Clark, right? The Wendell Clark who fights Marty McSorley, you know, with the beard and the bald spot and everything, you know, do you realize Wendell Clark was 26 during that playoff run? He was like an old man. He was like, yeah, like, I, you, don't you picture him as like a 35-year-old? He yeah. was 26. He was six months older than William Nylander is now <laughs> when he was old, grizzled Wendell Clark. And uh, I don't, I, that, that just always cracks me up, you know? And then he had like his final, he, he had the comeback with the Leafs and then the final comeback when he was just this broken down shell of himself and he was like 32. It was, <laughs> Wendell Clark's aging pattern was was very strange. But yeah, he's clearly my 
uh, heart Hall of Famer. My head Hall of Famer, and I made this, if, if anybody read the uh, the piece that we did collectively a few months ago on the Hall of Fame, you you saw me push for this guy, and, and I will continue to, and it's, it's somewhat timely this week, which is uh, Herb Carnegie should be in as a builder. Uh, Herb Carnegie was the first black star in hockey, never made the NHL, uh, was never given the opportunity, preceded Willie O'Ree, uh, and was a, a teammate in in the Quebec Senior League, which at the time was you know a, a league that was not far off the NHL as far as the skill level, and played with with Jean Beliveau and and some other guys. And in fact, Beliveau once said that he was one of the very best players he ever played with, uh, and wasn't given an opportunity in the NHL. Was was offered a few tryouts, but it was always under you know conditions that uh, didn't didn't make sense. There were accusations of of uh, racism and some things that you know, Smythe may or may not have said about him that uh, that helped keep him out of the NHL. Uh, but a legit star and a guy that you know now that we, we're finally after all these decades recognizing Willie O'Ree, uh, Herb Carnegie is another guy who should be in, and I would love to see him go in as a builder. Yeah, no, that that is a great one. You're right, and and you're starting to see a little bit of groundswell of support for him. That yeah, wasn't his there his family's been ago. pushing it for yeah. a few years. And every now and then, you know, but, but it's, it's, it's not something, you know, it's again, it's timely because Willie O'Ree, but this isn't something you don't need the narrative. You don't need it. Just look at his resume and, uh, he, he belongs there. He was a legitimate star in his own right. Uh, and, and probably should have been the guy to, to break the color barrier for black athletes in the NHL and, uh, and wasn't given that opportunity. You know, I, as, and just to throw <laughs> Wrap up your thought on Wendell Clark. You know, uh, well, you say he was 26 years old in that 93. Yeah. Like, it, it's the same as, the, you know, when people are like, uh, you are now the same, or this is how old Wilford Brimley was in Cocoon. Yes, like, what? that's he right. Was the, the Brimley that's Wendell line. Clark. That's the Wendell, Wendell Clark line would in the 93. Be, yeah. Like, yeah. wh- what is Some, that? I, I, somebody pointed out to me uh, that the, uh, the three women in the new Sex and the City reboot uh, oh, you know, yes. the three returning the characters girls, are the yeah. same age as the Golden Girls when that show debuted. And and that and the Wilford Brimley thing. And now, yeah, the Wendell Clark line. William Nylander is going to pass the Wendell Clark line. It should be, I, I say we draw the line at the age, the exact age Wendell Clark was when he fought Marty McSorley. Because I yes. feel like that's the, uh, the ultimate kind of old Wendell moment. And the fact that he was... 26. I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, pretty ridiculous, but, uh, yeah, he's, uh, we gotta, we gotta make that a thing. Like Connor McDavid is closing in on that. He's probably within 18 months of that line. He's probably pretty close. I'm, you know, I'm right. He yeah, was a 90, 97 birthday. So he'll turn yeah. 26 next year. Leon yeah. Dreisaitl is basically, you know, the, <laughs> the yeah. he's just moments away from the, uh, from passing the, the Wendell line. So, yeah. Yeah. That's when you become grumpy and old. Hey, uh, okay, so here's my answer to that question uh, mm-hmm. as well. Because you know uh, you know this, and I just for the benefit of our listeners, I grew up a huge Montreal Canadiens fan. Like, that was my yep. favorite team as a kid. But now, as you know, as a beat reporter, I don't really feel like I cheer like I, like I kind of used to. But I still have that kind of uh, nostalgia for the, the Canadians. And the one guy that I would say, you know what, I, this was my guy as a kid. And he's the only guy, Sean as I throw in a little trivia for you. Oh, boy. He's the only guy. So Guy Lafleur, there's only two players in Montreal Canadiens history, uh, two wingers, to have 110 points or more in a season and win a Stanley Cup with the Habs in the same year. Guy Lafleur is one. Do you know who the other is? No, I don't. Was it 86 or 93? It was 86. 86. And it's not Stefan Richer? I was thinking Stefan Richer, but I don't. Yeah, I remember that 86 team wasn't... Uh, wasn't a big scoring team, and I'm Matt, trying to think. Matt's Nasland. Matt's Nasland. Yes, little, of course. Little, the little, little Matt's Nasland. We're yeah. all picturing Don Cherry holding his hand up. Little Matt's Nasland. He's only this high. Yeah, that's that's a good pick. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and you know, and wouldn't it be fun to put like uh, have him in the Hall of Fame and just put that headline on uh, on you know the the hockey news? M Nasland uh, uh, inducted into Hall of Fame and yeah. let every Canucks fan Can get I, all excited. And then, yeah, like, what? M. Naslin is in, finally. Well, yeah. I mean, we all know guys named Matt's get a free pass from the community. Oh, here so we go. Here we go. But anyway, I thought it was funny, too, because, you know, Matt's Naslin, 
uh, nobody would nobody would pick him, but he was the guy. Like no. when I was a kid, I used to I got my parents to give me the exact. He used this Finnish brand stick torso, and mm-hmm. I had my parents buy me the torso stick, and 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 you know he was. And I, I <laughs> as I look this up now, Matt Snazlin was twenty six years old that year. There it is. Uh, there That's it is. It. Yeah. This is the this is the age. Was he your guy that like when you were playing hockey out in the out, out with your friends in the street and you all had to call which player you were? Yeah. 100%. Before the game, you were yeah, yeah you were Matt Snazlin. See, I was I was Wendell Clark, but the problem is there was like twenty of us, and uh, that was that was always bad news. It was like twenty Wendell Clarks, one Danielle Marois, and uh, and, and probably a Russ like a, yeah, maybe a Russ, maybe a Greg Terry and the slow kid, and uh, yeah, that was that was pretty much it. Yep. All right, uh, one more here from an email from Donald who uh, said, "Hey guys, catching up on some of your." Uh, older podcast here. Listen to the one that you did a while back on going back in time and undoing trades. I enjoyed it, but I think you got a, uh, a, a big one that you missed. One of the all-time worst deals when Chicago traded Phil Esposito, Ken Hodge, and Fred Stanfield to Boston in exchange for uh, Gilles Marcotte, Pitt Martin, and uh, Jack Norris. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, That's, I guess... It's, it's a good one, an all-time bad trade, and the reason that it's especially notable is uh that it is one of the first and uh maybe most famous examples of a team failing in the playoffs and deciding that you know what we can't win with this mix because Chicago had remember they had Bobby Hall and Stan Makita and then they had Phil Esposito on the on the second line sometimes playing with those guys and the feeling was, well, we got too much offense. We got, we can't, you can't win with all this offense. This Esposito kid, he doesn't know his own end. Uh, we got to move him and we'll get Pitt Martin, who was like the uh, the 1960s version of like Eric Goodbranson or someone like that, where it's, uh, you know, the hard-nosed defensive defenseman who could clear the net and do all the things you need to win. And uh, yeah, they let that, uh, they had a very disappointing playoff run and they, they let that, uh, sitting there in their heads a little bit too much and decided to make a move and uh, traded away the young Phil Esposito and immediately came to regret it as he rewrote the record book over the next five years. Yeah, and uh, ended up with a 76-goal season and uh, and more with uh, with Boston. All right, yeah, as and always. And then got traded in another terrible trade. Yeah. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Phil Esposito is, is just a lifetime of terrible trades. He was yeah. involved in two of the worst trades in NHL history and then became a GM. And it was almost like he was trying to push his two trades down. So he just made worse and worse and crazier and crazier trades. If you're ever looking for something fun to remind you of of or or to learn about what this game used to be, look up Phil Esposito's trading record as a GM. Uh, he was a GM for like three years and you will just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. It is absolutely insane, including trading for a coach. Yeah. Uh, which a wasn't even something pick. anybody knew. Yeah. First round, get yeah, fifth overall pick and uh uh, trade it for a coach that he fired after like a year and a half. And, and did he not now correct me if I'm wrong here. Did he not get the nickname trader Phil? And it's like, if he's, yeah. if, but he, he was only on the job for like 36 months. Yeah. No, he was an absolute madman in, in New yeah. York. And then he, he had a stint in Tampa too. And, and wasn't, uh, uh, wasn't all that less active, but yeah, go back his ra- I mean, it, it's, it, it's like if you were playing a computer game and you just, you know, at some point, <laughs> You know, you you would just even you would be like, I'm. This isn't realistic. I can't make three trades every week. Uh, but nobody told Phil that, and it was uh, it was a lot of. I don't know if it was fun for Rangers fans, but it was fun for the rest of us. Okay, this week in hockey history is always fun for us. It's how we wrap up the show. And now, look, we're in the middle of January, and you and I live in the province of, for our American uh, audience, you and I live in the province of Ontario, which got absolutely hammered with a snowstorm this week. Uh, we mm-hmm. got about. In the neighborhood of 18 to 20 inches of snow, uh, 50 centimeters, whatever it was earlier this week. And so I got two this this week in hockey histories that kind of involve weather-related, um, you know, uh, postponements of games. So we're kind yep. of in that, that middle of January is when weird things happen and games get postponed. So we're going to mm-hmm. go through two of them. I'm going to start you with this one. And it was January 18th, 1945. Okay, January 18th, 1945. A crowd of just under 8,000 people waited at Olympia Stadium in Detroit for more than three hours to see a regular season game between the Red Wings and the Rangers. Uh, The game was delayed by bad weather. 
The game did not start until 11.15 p.m. It ended at about 1 a.m. And it got me thinking, okay, you're sitting in the Olympia. It's 1945. I'm thinking that the arena is probably full of smoke. There's not a lot of ventilation. Mm -hmm. Like, even if you were doing it now, I feel like three hours waiting around with nothing to do is a bit much for me for a regular season game. What's your cutoff, yeah. Sean? What's yeah, no, it's, I, I don't know what my cutoff is, but it's not three hours. Yeah, I don't, I don't think uh, so. I don't know how much I've paid for those tickets. I'm guessing back then probably wasn't a very fan-friendly refund policy, which is maybe why people were sticking around. But I'm yeah. also guessing there wasn't exactly a ton of in-arena entertainment. It was uh, maybe, maybe a guy on the organ, and that was pretty or, much it. And the other thing is that's the you know World War II era – uh, the Rangers were one of the worst teams in the history of hockey. So it's not yeah. like you're sticking around to see, you know, the Montreal Canadiens dynasty or, you know, we're going to see Rocket Richard or something. It was um, a real bad team. I'm, I'm guessing that, like I say, if it was probably, hey, no refunds, the game's going to be played. And so uh, I guess everyone's sitting around. And, and the other thing is... Every photo you've ever seen from that era, what's everyone in the stands wearing, Full right? They're suit. all dressed. Yeah, yeah. Cool. like they're dressed yeah. up nicer than like the, what I wear to go to weddings. So, you yeah. know, like there's no, that that could not have been comfortable. You're sitting there with your hat on and yeah, probably like you said, just chugging away on your cigar and uh, that probably would have been a pretty miserable night. Oh yeah, heavy, like a wool suit and yeah. a top hat and a pipe or whatever, a cigar. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm not waiting three hours. I guess the only counter game. argument would be like, what else are you going to do in 1945, right? It's not like you're going to go home and, uh, you know, turn on Netflix. It was, it's probably like, all right, this is, this is it. It's either this or I go home and deal with my family. So I'm yeah. in. What else are you going to do? It's 1945. We say in January 22, as we're locked yeah. down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What else are you going to do? Living the yeah. exciting, fascinating lives that we live now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we got one other one. This one's a little bit more recent. Uh, this one comes from January of 1987, January 22nd, 1987 to be precise, when the New Jersey Devils took on the Calgary Flames at the old Brendan Byrne Arena in uh, East Rutherford, New Jersey. It, it was later the Continental Airlines Arena. And so at this rink, the Devils, who were expecting about 11,000 people to show up to the game, uh, also had a major winter storm that ended up dropping about a foot and a half of snow. And so as a result, I mean, the Calgary Flames couldn't get to the arena. Uh, it took, the game was delayed by two hours. There was a total, they, they counted the people that came into the arena that night. And it was 334. 334 people braved the weather, made it to the arena, and watched the New Jersey Devils uh, pick up a victory 7-5. Over the Calgary mm -hmm. Flames. The Devils would then later honor these diehard fans, Sean, who braved the weather by forming the 334 Club, which was yep. to um, honor the 334 people who showed up to the game. So, do you know any, like, what, what, what were some of the benefits of being in the 334 Club? <laughs> that, you know what? I, that I don't know. I, okay. you, you've pretty much summarized the story about as much as I know it, but it's one of my favorite stories. And I do, yeah. uh, again, this is. Something you'd never see again because these days, when when big storms like that hit, games are postponed, games are shifted around. But back then, it was just yeah, we're we're gonna play the game, and uh, it's uh, yeah, they they actually recognized it. And you got to remember, this is the '87 Devils. This is still in the Mickey Mouse era when the Devils are the worst franchise right. in the NHL, the the laughing stock. They have in a year later, they would have the. The, the big playoff run and then have another donut and all of that stuff. But they haven't done that yet. They've never even made the playoffs. Uh, so, yeah, have have some, you know, recognize the fans that are actually loyal enough or crazy enough uh, or live next door to the arena, I guess. But they they actually get out there. And, hey, at least, at least it sounds like they saw a fun game. You know, 7-5, to five, that's a good low-scoring 80s battle, uh, goaltending yeah. duel. But, uh, you know, and, and a pretty good Flames team, at, unlike those uh, those poor Red Wings fans from back in the day. I'm thinking the 334 club in New Jersey, like if you're thinking about potential uh, benefits or whatever, like what, what do you get from it? Like, should you not have gotten uh, a ticket, um, you know, like should you not have gotten a ticket to a game every year? 
for yeah. the next X amount of years. But because here, okay, back then they could have, they had the room. I mean, they would have. Uh, I mean, you said they sold eleven thousand tickets, so they it's sold not 11, like they 000. were. Yeah, uh, it's not like that. People were exactly lined up around the blocks to get to a Devils game. Yeah, I would. Yeah, uh, give them give them seasons tickets. Give them something. Yeah. Okay. So I looked up on the Devils official website. They actually posted something, but the problem is I can't tell if this is from last year, five years ago. But there's a there's a link to the three thirty four club, and it's okay. like it, it's got the backstory. But then there's this form at the bottom, Sean, where it says, "Were you there on January twenty second, nineteen eighty seven? We want to hear your story if you're part of the three thirty four club, or if you even tried to just get to that game." And then there's like a uh, a form where you fill out with your name and your address and your phone number, like. I, Here's my, I guess my point or my question. If you've created and established the 334 club, wouldn't you yeah. know the names? Like how would Apparently it it's not much hey, of a club. Yeah, well, I let me, know. okay. So, so here's, here's from a, a New Jersey Devils fan site. And I, I do not know if this is accurate, but I, I have no reason necessarily to doubt it. Uh, it says the, the New Jersey Devils took down the names of every fan in attendance who received a letter indoctrinating them into the infamous 334 club along with, you ready? Okay. A T-shirt and official badge. That's, That's it. it. That seems to be the end of the list. So you got a T-shirt, and I don't even know what an official. I I guess in there aren't. Maybe there are unofficial three thirty four club badges out there. But yeah, you have you have a badge and a T-shirt and a letter, and that sounds like that's about it. So uh, yeah, it it doesn't. Uh, feels like like a lot of things uh, with the mid eighties Devils. Maybe there wasn't quite as much effort put into this as there should have been. Yeah, a little underwhelming. To say the least, not even like a, not even a free ticket. I, I would have thought there would be gatherings set up every year and, you yeah. know, this is, this is should pretty be. bad. This there should be. I, there's got to right. be something else. I, I would like, if, if I, it's a long shot, it's a huge long shot, but if anyone listening to this is or knows a member of, of the 334 club, I want to hear from you and I want to find out it, you, they must've done something else since. Are we going to put out a, a form at the end of our podcast on the site that people can, if you, if you were part yeah. of the 334 Club, yeah, uh, no, send it's us weird. Your, we got, yeah. I, I'm just picturing the devil's like, wow, it's it's crazy. We got a lot more than 334 responses to our yeah. <laughs> unverified internet form. How weird. Yeah. All right. Hey, listen, we'll leave it there. This was a lot of fun, as always, Sean. So, uh, listen, have a uh, have a great week digging out of the snow, and uh, and we'll do this again next week. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, everybody, for uh, for listening to this latest edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Like I said, we'll get to you again next week. You can always uh, drop us an email. If you've got a question for us, a query, something you want us to tackle, uh, the email is theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459. If you're not a subscriber with us, you can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show. Get an annual subscription for $3.99 a month. You can also subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Get all of our bonus content from our entire network. You'll start with a 30-day free trial, and then it's just $0.99 cents a month after that.